Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast, presented by Tennis Express. We deliver tennis worldwide, right to your front door. And now, here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm Ed McGrogan here with Pete Bodo and Steve Tigner. We're uh, meeting up after a weekend of uh, tennis around the States and in Europe. Um, we'll start with uh, the arguably the biggest event of the weekend was the Bryan Brothers. They won in Los Angeles. They won their 62nd doubles title as a team. Uh, it was their 100th final. They were in coincidentally. Um, and, that, and that title put them past um, the Woodies um, and the all-time list there. And Pete, you actually spoke with uh, Mike after the match, uh, a little afterwards, and got your take on just what do you think about the whole record you know its significance etc well it was a couple hours after the match and you know mike was fried they'd been doing all kinds of media that a world and he was going to barbecue at a neighbor's house kind of a barbecue party in honor of the uh, of the achievement so you know he was he was happy he was over the moon he said something interesting to me actually he said he's not sure that after this generation of players the daniel nesters and 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 mark knowles and stuff pass that um you know, there are going to be that many, you know, real good quality doubles players because he doesn't necessarily see the skill level out there in terms of, you know, the doubles game. He, you know, he said, you know, he kind of laughed. He said he looked forward to a lot of baseline, two-minute baseline doubles play from now on, which was kind of an interesting point. But, you know, I, I think, I, I think, and it underscores something about the Bryans that I think is a big part of their, you know, uh, of their legacy is that, is that they worked really, really hard at becoming a great doubles team. Um uh, Hardcore Confidential, Patrick McEnroe's book, which, full disclosure, I helped him write it, uh, was, you know, he talked a lot about the Bryans, and you'd be amazed at how hard these guys work and at the drills they do all with the intent of, of, of playing good doubles. Yeah, they, um, I mean, it, it's, they're, they're more than just a doubles team, too. They're, you know, they're sort of a an entertainment, they're, they're an act, in a way, being twins, which makes it, which makes them, I think, more interesting to a casual fan. Than, than a lot of the teams. So they, they have that appeal as well. And, and it's true. They, they worked really hard. I remember when they came out of Stanford and they tried to play singles, particularly Bob, who was a good singles player, but they, you know, he didn't really make it. But they, you know, they, didn't, they didn't give up. They, didn't, they, they stuck with this. They stuck with doubles. They made, they made doubles their thing. The, the only thing I would, would have liked to have seen at some point uh, at, in Indian Wells this year, I watched... Nadal win the doubles with somebody who's ranked outside of the top 100. He they beat Nestor and Zemanjic easily just because Nadal was on some was on a much much higher level than anybody on the court. But the Bryans never had to face those kind of guys. They never had to play Federer and Nadal at Grand Slams on on a regular basis. They it would have been interesting to me to see how they would have would have, would have measured up yeah, that would be against an, you know a team of Nadal and, and sort of an average player. You you just didn't see it that much. Nothing to take away from the Bryans. They beat everybody. They beat all the players on the other side of the net, and they made themselves into great players. But they, unlike say, players from the '60s and '70s, where you had the top singles players playing, they didn't. They never had to face those guys. Yeah, it's a different era for sure. And but I, I do. I was actually most impressed. I was looking at the their run of their titles. Uh, doubles to me, I, it strikes me as a, as a you know a discipline of tennis you could play for a while. A lot of there's a lot of people and doubles who are in their late 30s and such. And the Bryans have done that. They collect all their titles in the past 10 years, I believe. Um, so they have a good, they've been very consistent pretty much the whole run of, of their, you know, of their 62 titles here. Uh, they tra- In case you want to know, they trailed the Woody still 8 to 11 in Grand Slams. Um, and so they have that on the court. They also have the off the court thing, which they've been doing, which they, 
been involved in doubles for years now. And Pete, you also touched on that, just keeping the really the discipline of doubles alive, and that's one that might be their even biggest legacy. Well, that's huge. I mean, let's remember uh, the uh, when 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 it, when O'Brien started to play really well and started to actually sort of become an act, as Steve said, and I think he's absolutely right about that. Uh, you know, which is great for doubles, by the way. You know, it's uh, you know some people may think that's a snide way to put it or something, but no, it, you know, it's great for doubles. Let's face it, doubles. The, the image of doubles was sort of in a dumpster. And, you know, even worse, you had you, this welfare state existed in tennis right, because of the ATP's rules and regulations. And so doubles players were getting free housing. They were getting first-round losers' money. They were, you know, so they were really living off the fat of the land. And a lot of them were really just fairly anonymous guys who just went around, and they were content to go two or three rounds. Those guys are fine. You know, uh, God bless anyone who can make a living at something, especially if, it's, if, if, if the money's there to be taken. But, um, you know, but you didn't have anybody who was really sort of lighting it up and getting public interest going in doubles and stuff. So there was a movement among the tournament promoters to trash doubles. I mean, it, when they looked at how much of their budget had to be allocated to doubles, and nobody in doubles was stepping up and really, you know, pushing the game forward, promoting it, doing the things that that could really help a tournament director. They were saying, you know, we don't need it. We can't afford this anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, the the economy, the tennis economy was shrinking. You know, the the the, the U.S. The loss of interest to some degree in the U.S. in tennis, you know, made it made it kind of difficult for for these more and more difficult for for the promoters to make money, and so they had this huge nut with the doubles going in uh, because of the way th- things were designed. And the Bryan brothers really, really shook that up. And yet, just from a from a person who's in, involved in tennis standpoint, there's nobody really more accessible or or more sort of down to earth at this. But at the same time, also working hard to promote the game as the Bryans, like you. Maybe you don't love doubles, but they they've done everything they can beyond just playing tennis to to make people interested in you know in that part of the sport. You, you know, know, I'll tell you something funny. What um, you know, Mike said, that, you know, one of the real unsung heroes, and this is kind of interesting uh, to those of you who remember Etienne de Villiers, who was the CEO of the ATP Tour during that period in 2005 he took the job he had it for three years uh you know there was there was a movement to to play more uh round robin singles and he was sensitive to the tournament director's you know complaints about doubles and and mike told me that the real hero in this saga was etienne de villiers uh, because you had on one hand you had the tournament promoters and the other anti-doubles people let's call them uh saying look let's get rid of doubles it's passe nobody cares you know you just filler let's you know have a couple doubles teams around in case a singles finalist turns an ankle we got to put something on stage for them there and then you had the insurgency you had the doubles players rising up those guys who really were making a living in doubles especially the guys who were making a decent living in doubles saying hey wait a minute you can't you you can't end our livelihood and, you know the threats of lawsuits you know you suddenly you know, by caveat, you know, ending an entire, you know, there were guys who made decisions to be double specialists like the Bryans did. And so you had these two factions, and de Villiers came down on the side of doubles players. De Villiers said, okay, well, these guys have a point. Doubles definitely has a tradition in the game. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that it's been a big part of tennis and still is at the Grand Slams. Uh, and, and he said, well, uh, the, then what we got to do is let's just find a way to make doubles a, a, a value added to the tournament rather than a drag on the tournament. And that's kind of what got the whole ball starting. You ended up with the match tiebreaker that they're now playing best of three matches. However you feel about that, was, yeah, was that was huge. Yeah, I was just going to say, does that, does that in any way, you know, whatever you think of the record, does it does a change like that impact this record whatsoever, even the whole prospect of doubles? Is it like a watered down even more so because of the changes that were made or just because, just good to have his change to keep this? I would say doubles? no. I think it's a good change. Yeah. I think if you're anytime you go to a match and you see it, a doubles match that maybe you you're somewhat interested in, but it's but you're waiting for a singles match, which I think most fans 
most fans are. The, I think the 10-point tiebreaker is, is a great thing. And it doesn't water it down to me that you know, each team is playing the same, the same score. 10-point tiebreakers, it's not like they went to no-ad games. They played two full sets and then the 10-pointer. To me, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't affect it. I don't think of the record any differently. Yeah. You know, the bottom line is I think generally, I, mean, I guess you can challenge this, but I mean, in my opinion, the scoring system doesn't matter. The, the, the right guys are going to win anyway. I don't think you can come up with a scoring system where suddenly Rafael Nadal is going to end up being number 250 in the world. You know, and, and, and Ivan Lubitsch will be number one. You know, I mean, you, you know, uh, so I, I think, yeah, I think that was a good change. And the real big ticket, the, the real big ticket item for them was to shorten the doubles matches. Because one of the problems that tournament directors were having was that they were running into all kinds of cost overruns because these two guys would, four guys would be out there playing this unbelievably so long. Yeah. Exactly. And it would screw up the whole schedule, especially when it had to start doing the not before start times for television that didn't have to do with doubles but now they know that no doubles match is going to go beyond a certain point they have a specific time frame and they can actually really you know just a scheduling based upon that as as the tournament goes on shop tennis express for the best selection of top brands with expert service at fair prices the tennis express team is available to help you find the right tennis gear Shop Tennis Express and find out why their customers call them a candy store for tennis players. Call 1-800-833-6615 or log on to www.tennisexpress.com today. Well, a couple of other case was they, they had a good weekend this week. The Bryans won, shirts, you can... Have your I don't know if I would say that it was a good week for the for the K Swiss shirts oh. with the Bryan brothers. <laughs> it's debatable in your mind. Uh, yeah, but it was a smart move by K Swiss. K Swiss, you know, has always tried to appeal to the rec player. You know, for a long time they didn't even have endorsements with with top players, so they've so they had to sort of decide we're going to make the leap and you know really just spend some advertising money. Who are we going to have to uh, to really you know be representatives of our products? And actually, Bryan brothers are a great choice. So many rec players. You know, doubles anyway. doubles. there you go. But I don't know if those shirts have appealed to anyone over. Steve's got a eleven years with those old. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, their other guy, Sam Query, another California kid. Uh, he won uh, as well. Had a very, um, you know, a weekend where he looked down out a couple of matches. He saved match point in the semis and also against Tipsarovic. Saved him in the final against Andy Murray. Obviously, a, you know, that's a great win there, no matter how you do it. But um, Steve, you watched this one pretty closely. What's your take? Take on this match. I uh, guess start with Query. Query. I mean, now you just have to look at Query. He's a guy who's who's really done well in the in the two fifties. This level of tournament for for a good year. Now he defended this title, and now you start to think. Well, now he's beaten Murray. He lost to Murray at Wimbledon, where he had a good he he had a chance in that match, but he didn't. I didn't feel like he really believed that he could win it, and he he had a chance, and he 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 missed an important shot. This time he was down match point. He played a very smart. Match point played it very safe. Played a very good played a good tiebreaker. He also showed that he has he has a shot and a game that two shots and a game that Murray doesn't have the serve and the forehand, which are you know alone allowed him to win to win that match. His forehand looked looked better better than it ever has. So you sort of start to think, what does Query believe he can do? Is is a master series coming up? Because now he's beating a guy in the top five. Yeah, he he's gonna be. I think he's playing in Washington this week as well. That's he, the one thing I would. Yeah, the schedule when I saw that. I mean, he could be playing potentially four weeks in a he, row, and then the Open's coming up right after that. He's burned out at the Open in the past. He won the U.S. Open series last year, and in the past he's looked tired at the Open. That's the one thing I would I would say is is working against him if he plays Washington in that heat, and then he has two more 
Masters events, that, that that's a lot for him. Yeah, and he already had that little thing in Europe where the French Open came, and he he was burned he, out he by he the time the French. By then. Yeah, the meltdown. It was yeah. unwise enough to tell everybody the truth. <laughs> yeah, but, but you're you're right, Quarry. I thought the forehand looked really good, especially on the bigger points. I mean. That match point, I recall Murray being a little tentative. It's kind of, you know, he's kind of going to put the ball in play and everything. But Query definitely didn't let it just, you know, come to him. He definitely took control of that. And, um, you know, overall, just a very impressive performance by him. You know, Query, Query's always sort of developed at his own pace, too. And it goes right back to the start of his career when he, not even his career, meaning his pro career, but his career in tennis. You know, he was late to the game in terms of really focusing on tennis. He's he's always professed that he's not in too much of a hurry to get anywhere. It got to the point, really, you know, about a year ago or so, when people were thinking, well, you know, there's a point at which, look, there's a point at which you got to start making some noise here, or else, you know, you're just going to be that guy who's, you know, languishing at number 120 in the world or number 80 in the world, and you know, probably having a decent living, but that's it. And I think Quir has kind of moved out of that a little bit. I think he, he's he's really kind of establishing himself the way Isner is as well as you know, a, certainly a top twenty, maybe even a top ten, and who knows, kind of kind of player. And I think both, you know, it's, it's kind of ironic. It's kind of funny. These guys, two American guys, they're developing relatively slowly. They're they they, they you know they re- really have marched to the beat of a different drummer. It's almost like you think, well, if this trend continues, pretty soon you're going to have American kids going back to college and playing four years of college tennis before coming out and then becoming top pros. Brian's, so Brian Stewart were college players. Yeah, yeah neither, right. neither Quarry or Isner were academy guys. Quarry just played uh, locally, and Isner went to college. But um, I think the thing with Quarry now is I don't know if he's ever – this at this tournament he really looked like a match player. He beat he beat Tipsarevich down from one five in the second set tiebreaker, basically out of that match, but he didn't he didn't give in. And he sort of he's he like Isner, he showed that with that big serve, he he has a mentality, sort of calm mentality that allows him to win at least right now, is allowing him to win close matches. Yeah, well, for him and Isner, it, it seems like almost this year it's been one after the other, one is putting on one thing where you think Maybe he's the top American going. It's just been back and forth. They've had some incredible achievements, each of them. Um, just before we go on that one, I just want to mention Murray. You were talking about the ser- the lack of serve, lack of forehand. That that seemed almost really evident, almost more so than before this match. It, I don't know if it's because it was a smaller tournament and I sort of expected him to just do well. I, I give him credit for coming in, taking taking Novak Djokovic's money basically to come and play, and he did mm-hmm. did well. But it just really looked like he was, you know, the serve was never confident. He never went for those. He was like playing in the first and second sets of the Aussie Open final, just very retrieving. And, you know, I, I don't know what you say about Murray, I guess. It's just that same thing, that same lack of that shot, that forehand or serve. That Those are the two shots that Query has. Murray basically has everything else on Query, but those are the two those are the two most important parts of the game right now. I think Murray, going forward, even Cahill, who was Darren Cahill, who was talking about, people were talking about him becoming Murray's coach, and he might work with him a little bit through Adidas. Even he was saying Murray has to learn to take the forehand on the rise. So if he's saying that, I'm sure Murray knows that. And I'm sure it's mm-hmm. something that Murray has to think about because that is that is the thing that's holding him back. Hey, the next time I hear from Darren Cahill, I want to hear that he's got a job. I'm, I'm tired of hearing about Darren Cahill not taking, not taking job jobs. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, you know, it is kind of funny. And, you know, it's, it's certainly good for his, you know, his, his, his mojo and his... His, his name's always around. Yeah, but he's always around. His name's always around. He's always, no, I won't do this. It's like, oh, this guy, he won't coach Federer. He won't coach Murray. You know, what's he going to do? Turn down Roddick, you know. All right, enough of that. You know, I don't want to hear from this guy until he decides he's going to coach somebody and comes in and says, I'm going to be so-and-so's coach. Right. Well, uh, the uh, on the women's side as well, there's um, the event up in Stanford not far away. We had 
Victoria Azarenka. Um, haven't heard much from her since really like last year when she won Miami, um, uh, taking out Maria Sharapova in two sets. Um, I thought, I guess speaking about Azarenka, it was, you know, we've seen a lot of her, I think we've seen a lot of the worst of her. She's blown some bad matches. She had that match against Serena. And every time we talk about her, hear about her, you know, nervous, these breakdowns, the screaming, everything. And she actually had a, played a nice match, at least in the second set I saw. It was kind of an ugly match to start a lot of breaks, but she came through and took out uh, Sharapova in the end. It's hard to know what to think of her at, at the Australian Open. She almost beat Serena, and I thought she was, I thought, okay, this is, you know, she's next top five. She could win a slam. She's that good. Then I saw her at the French. She bombed out 1-0 and to Dolko in the first round and just was totally not in that match. And, and it seemed to be going through the motions at certain certain points this year. And then, here she comes out and beats Sharapova at her own game. She has a very similar game, but she just she just out hit her. I don't know what to say in the future. In the you know that's over, not very helpful over the, the last year. Over the last year, I you know, I would have said okay, she's after a win like this. I would have said all right, now she's ready. But uh, you can't say that yet. Yeah, if you had a table of elements, if you had to, if you charted the the players into the table of elements, uh, I'm going to divulge my ignorance of chemistry here. And, mm-hmm. uh, but she would be certainly be a volatile substance. You know, you just never know what you're going to get. She could, you know, she you know she's unstable basically in 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 a, in a strict dictionary sense of the word, not not emotionally, but or perhaps emotionally too. I don't know. But you know, she's uh, you know you just she's not you're, one of the noble gases. You're not you're not exactly there. You go noble gases. I like that. <laughs> yeah. She, well, I'll say this for her: she would ha- she has a good opportunity this summer if with Serena and I don't know the picture. I mean, you never know what she's already pu- she's pulled out of San Diego. Already, well, they, well <laughs> after May, that, I mean, that's put her feet up, rest on her laurels, right? Yeah, May, that's what Sam should do with Washington. I mean, you I guess it's know. it is disappointing for Sharapova. Though. This was another tournament where it seemed like she was all right. She's getting back on track, and she just she got beaten badly, and she didn't serve well. Yeah, the serve had to be tough. Well, you know, with Murray too. I mean, uh, to some degree, though, you have to also figure. You know, getting to the final, especially in a case like Murray's, where he, you know where he has a match point and stuff. You know, uh, you know, comes in at the last minute. You know, now Murray, of course, had, had had planned to schedule along, but I mean, I, I think these players probably, and to be realistic, we, we judge them by one standard. You know, did the person win or lose, and was it a winnable match on paper anyway? Going in, why didn't they win? But I think I think for these players, getting to the final, you know, even even if they lose a final, I, I think I think they walk away feeling better about themselves rather than worse. Yeah. Well, we'll um, we'll touch on that and more in the coming weeks. We also had um, Nicholas Almagro, Pete, your one of your new favorite players, or we're, old we're, favorite, we're out of time, I guess. Players, Almagro, I'm getting, I'm getting on the Almagro Gasquet. bandwagon here. Yeah, one, is there is there an Almagro bandwagon? I'm, I'm driving <laughs> it. I'm driving it, Joe. We got plenty of room. Jump I on board, see folks. It. I want to see it. All right, oh, all right, very good. Um, we'll talk to you next time later in the week. It'll be on Thursday. We'll be recording. Um, it'll be a preview of the Toronto Masters. Steve will be in attendance there next week. So we'll. Yeah, when are you that. going, Steve? I'm going up on Sunday. Go up. Sunday Just to Sunday. Sunday to Sunday. So we'll look at that with all the big names reconvening up in Canada, in a beautiful Ontario, Canada, I should add. Um, that's all for now. Pete Bodo, Steve Tigner, Ed McGrogan, thanks again for listening. You've been listening to the Tennis.com podcast, presented by Tennis Express, the tennis industry's retailer of the year. For more news and information, head over to Tennis.com. Thanks for listening.